0: But asserting God's word this morning to Romans chapter six Romans six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For, ye, for as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As far as we read God's holy and inerrant words. May God bless the reading of his word unto our hearts. The text that we consider in this resurrection morning is the fourth verse of Romans chapter 6. Therefore, We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the question that this text puts before you this morning is this. Were you crucified and were you buried with Jesus Christ? Now some might object to that question. Consider that question to be a strange, perhaps even an inappropriate question question to consider on this Easter morning. For after all, are we not considering on this morning the joy of the fact that Jesus Christ conquered death and the grave that he is not dead, but he has risen according to the testimony of the angel who sat upon that stone of the tomb. And so ought we not to be rejoicing on this morning instead of considering the morbid question, were you crucified and were you buried with Jesus Christ? But I hope we will be able to see, beloved, is the necessity of that question. And the necessity is this. There is no Easter joy. There is no rejoicing. There is no comfort. There is no hope. If you were not, and if you cannot confess I was crucified with Christ and I was buried with him by baptism into death and then then when that is your confession then there is the joy that like as Christ was raised up by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Like as Christ was raised. We use that as our theme this morning First, considering that we were buried with Christ. Second, raised with Christ. Third, looking at the final phrase of verse 4, walking with Christ. The Apostle Paul testifies by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Not the easiest phrase to understand. Buried with Jesus Christ by baptism into death. For us to begin to understand this, we must know something generally of death, what happens at death, and then look more specifically at the death of Jesus Christ for us to understand then what it means that we are dead and buried with Jesus Christ. Death. What is death? It's the end. It's the end of one's existence, the end of one's life, the end of one's relationships that he or she enjoyed upon this earth. At the moment of death, the position that that individual had upon this earth ceases. It does not matter how important that individual was throughout his lifetime, what power, what influence, what control that individual had throughout his life. At the moment of death, all of the power influence, the positions that he occupied, cease. Then at the moment of death, there is still yet a flurry of activity by those who knew the one who died. As they grieve and mourn, as they prepare for putting the body of that loved one in the ground, preparations are made For the funeral service, words are spoken as loved ones gather to grief, but then the body of that deceased individual is put down in the ground. He is buried, and everyone returns to their homes, and the position and the place and the influence of that individual ceases. That's death. Now, this text speaks of the fact that Jesus died. Therefore, we are buried with him, Christ, by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead, Christ died. And here the apostle uses the word that refers to the office of, really the offices that Jesus Christ held. Christ is the official title that was given unto our Lord and our Savior. It refers to the fact that he was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And as the perfect office bearer throughout all of his earthly ministry, Jesus labored in obedience unto his Father's will. Never once did Jesus deviate from uh, the work that the Father had given unto him to do. He did not come into this world in order that he might be ministered unto, but he came into this world in order that he might minister to others and to give his life as a ransom for all whom the Father had given unto him. And so Jesus Christ, though he was perfect, in fact, exactly Because of the fact that he was perfect, Jesus Christ was dead. He died because the wages of sin is death. Paul states that in the 23rd verse. For the wages of sin is death. Not his own sin, you know that but because he who knew no sin was made to be sin. Because he took your sins and my sins upon himself because he became guilty before the Father, condemned, forsaken. He died. And as Christ died, he experienced everything that it means to die. How important was Jesus Christ on this earth? There was no more important person. He was Christ. The perfect office bearer. The one who labored, who taught, who ministered. But all of that power ended as Jesus Christ died. There was a flurry of activity as his body was taken down from the cross and hastily brought to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The Old Testament Sabbath was quickly approaching. So they wrapped his body in linen and placed his body in that tomb And then everyone returned back to their homes, for he was dead. His lungs ceased to pump oxygen throughout his body. His heart no longer beat. There he was, impotent in the grave. Now the word of God is that we, we who are the church of Jesus Christ, we who belong unto him by faith, we who are knit unto him as the body is joined unto the head, we are buried with him By baptism into death. A striking phrase here. Not something that we would expect the apostle to say. That we are buried with him by baptism into or even unto death. When we think of baptism, we don't think of death. When we think of baptism, we think of life, we think of a joyful occasion, we think of that new child that is born, and that child who is presented by father and mother to receive that sacrament of baptism. When we think of baptism, we think of the long life that is ahead of this child, God willing. All of the hopes and the plans that the parents have for this child, baptism is associated with life, not with death. And yet the Apostle Paul says here that we are buried with him by baptism into death. Literally, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. Baptism is like that vehicle that ushers us into death. Baptism kills. We are buried with him by baptism unto death. Now, how do we understand this? That baptism kills. We must understand here that when the apostle speaks of baptism, he speaks certainly not of the sign, the outward visible sprinkling of the water upon the head of that infant. There's a distinction between the sign and the reality. And speaking of the baptism unto death, he speaks not of the outward sprinkling of the water, but of the inward reality of baptism. And what is that inner reality of baptism? Well, it's the washing away of our sins. It's the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ whereby we are purified from our sin from our sinful nature, and from the guilt which is due unto us for those sins. When we understand baptism in that sense that it speaks here of the reality of the cleansing of our sins in Jesus Christ, then we can begin to understand what it means that we are buried with Christ by baptism unto death. The reference here, beloved, is to the old man of sin. That's what's buried with Jesus Christ unto death. It's our sins and our sinful nature and the corruption of our flesh and the depravity that cleaves to our flesh and the guilt which is due unto us for those sins, that's what is buried with Jesus Christ unto death. The context makes abundantly clear that this must be the reference here of the Apostle Paul as he speaks of being baptized unto death. We see this in verse 6. Knowing this, that Our old man is crucified with him. Old man, crucified with him. And that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 11 as well. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Indeed unto sin. This means then that The connection, the relationship that we had previously with sin has now been severed. Earlier, sin was alive in our lives. Sin, as we even heard on Friday night, is iniquity. It's it's lawlessness. And that sin pervades our being and even controls us by nature. But the confession of the Christian on this Easter morning is that I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I reckon myself to be dead indeed unto sin. The power, the influence that sin held over me has now been severed. It's been cut off. That's what death is. Death is the end. Death marks the end of the influence and the power of that person for as long as that person was alive. But now we're dead unto sin. And that means that sin doesn't reign over me anymore. It means that sin doesn't have dominion over me. But it means that I have the ability then to live a life of gratitude unto God. Oh, we recognize and we confess that we have this victory in Jesus Christ, but in principle. It's but in beginning. We have only a small beginning of this new obedience in Jesus Christ, so often it is the case that the evil that we would not, that we do, and the good that we would, that we do not. And yet, nevertheless, I am buried with Christ by baptism unto death. By baptism. By that union that I have with Jesus Christ, I know, I believe, I testify that I am dead unto sin. May that be your triumphant cry on this Easter morning that I am crucified with Christ Unto death. And not just I, but we. Notice the plural. We are buried with him by baptism into death. The church, the church given by the Father unto Christ, as a church, as a congregation. We suffered, we were crucified, and we are buried with him by baptism into death. The shapes how we view the other members of the congregation, we view them not as they are by nature, in their sins, and in their corruption but we view the other members of the church according to the perspective of faith that we collectively are buried with Christ by baptism unto death and then the apostle goes on leaves us not there in the tomb But proceeds from the tomb unto life. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Like as Christ was raised up. If we are to understand our own blessed future bodily resurrection, we must look to the standard. Like as Christ was raised up. Consider with me that this was indeed a historical event. There was a moment in time when God Himself reached down from heaven by the power of His Spirit, and God raised His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. The women came to the tomb early on Sunday morning, They did not know yet that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. Having hastily buried him on Friday afternoon, they returned now to finish the business of giving unto their beloved Savior a proper burial. As they walked along that road, they discussed how they were going to roll that stone away from the door of the tomb. But then as they approached the tomb, they saw in the distance that the stone had already been rolled from the entry into the tomb. And there sitting upon that stone was an angel arrayed in brilliant white. And as they neared that angel upon the, st- the stone, the angel confessed unto them, He is not here, for he is risen. He who was dead was made alive, he who was impotent and who was placed in that grave, he who went to the corruption of the grave, he whose body throughout the three days that he was in the tomb began the process of decomposition, he who was returning unto the dust, from whence his physical body was composed. God took that lifeless body and God raised that body unto newness of life. And the wonder of the resurrection is this, beloved, that as God by his glory raised Jesus Christ unto life, God did not simply restore Jesus to the life that he previously had upon this earth, he did not simply resurrect Jesus Christ to that same existence that he had before his crucifixion and his death. But the wonder of the resurrection is this, that as God raised Jesus Christ up, he exalted Jesus Christ and gave unto him that perfect and that blessed resurrection life. It's higher life than what Jesus Christ had as he walked upon this earth for those 33 years. It was a life now that would not be capable of dying anymore. The ninth verse testifies of this glorious fact. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. How amazing is that resurrection life. No longer would it be possible for Jesus Christ to have afflictions of the flesh, to endure pain and suffering and weakness and fatigue in that flesh. It no longer would be possible for Jesus Christ to suffer to the point of death. For Jesus Christ was exalted unto resurrection life, a life that was adapted perfectly for life in heaven with God the Father where he would be seated at God's right hand. He was raised. And then notice as well, beloved, the power by which he was raised like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Another unexpected statement here. Raised by glory. It's not what we immediately would think of when we think of how Jesus Christ was raised. We think of power. We think of the Spirit. Many other passages of Scripture which speak of the resurrection of Christ testify of that very fact, that He was raised by the power of God. But this text doesn't say that. It doesn't deny that He was raised by power. But it doesn't say that in this verse. He was raised by glory. Glory, what is it? It's beauty, is it not? Glory is the radiation of the infinite perfections of God. It's the shining forth of God's love, God's justice, God's wisdom, God's holiness, God's transcendence. God is the God who will not have his glory hid from view. God is the God who reveals himself unto us exactly for this purpose so that we might acknowledge that he is God, the God of infinite beauty, And that then with bended knee we would adore Him and worship Him. But consider then what happened in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. As Jesus came into this world, what happened to the glory of God? Philippians 2 tells us that He made Himself of no reputation and the idea there is that Jesus hid from view the glory of God he, he emptied himself that's the meaning of no reputation he emptied himself of the glory of God so that he who was God and he who had all of the glory of God as he came down into this earth he He did not appear as God. It was not immediately evident to those who saw Him and talked to Him and interacted with Him that indeed this was God. Oh, to be sure, there were glimpses of His glory as He performed miracles, as He taught with authority at the temple. But Jesus Christ was fully man. He was a man who was subject unto misery a man who himself eventually did die. And there most especially the glory of God was hid from view as the Son of God, the Word incarnate, was put there in that lowly tomb. And as that stone was rolled in front of the door and sealed that door shut, there the glory of God was hid from view. So that no man walking by would say, ah, yes, this is where the Son of God is at No one would be inclined to worship that dead individual in the tomb. No, the glory of God was hid from view as Jesus Christ was in that tomb. And so God then, who will be exalted, who will be praised as the glorious and the beautiful God, would not permit his Holy One to remain in that grave, but according to God's glory... He opened up that tomb and he raised his son Jesus Christ up unto the resurrection life. And thus we say with the apostle that Jesus Christ was raised by the glory of God. And then the amazing truth is that like as Jesus Christ was raised, so we too are raised. We can speak of our future resurrection. The resurrection that we yet await. The apostle speaks of that in the 5th verse. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Recall the question. Were you dead? And were you buried with Jesus Christ? If so, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. He was raised as the firstborn of the dead. He was raised as the head over his church. So where the head is, there the body must follow. And so the child of God may and does anticipate the future, and a bodily resurrection. At the last day, when the trumpet shall sound, when Christ shall return on the clouds of glory, then the graves will be opened up, and the glory of God will be revealed as he raises the dead unto life again. When he will take our bodies, if we have died before Jesus Christ returns, which bodies will already have begun the process of decomposition, which bodies will be returning to the dust from whence we were made. And God will draw those bodies from out of the dust and give unto us that blessed, resurrected life, a higher life, than what we presently have on this earth. A life where our resurrection bodies will be adapted perfectly for life with Jesus Christ in heaven. What comfort we have then as we face that final enemy of death. We can testify with the Apostle Paul 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We will be raised, future tense, but we can also speak of present tense, we are raised like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We do not have to wait until that final moment when Jesus Christ returns for His resurrection to have any implications for us. But already now, in this moment, as we sit in God's house, there's a blessing of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead for you. And the blessedness, beloved, is that God gives unto us the ability to walk in newness of life. Not just that we are dead with Jesus Christ, but also that we live with Jesus Christ. Living with Jesus Christ is to walk in newness of life. This raises here the the idea, the picture of a sojourner. Think of somebody who is traveling a long, long distance. And as that sojourner walks along, he has a destination in mind. He knows where he wants to go. But as he walks along toward that destination, with his face set on that final goal, he sees that there are so many obstacles So many difficulties that he must traverse as he walks along that pathway. There's a desert that he must walk through where there's going to be a shortage of water and food. There are mountains that he must climb up arduous, difficult work as he plods along, putting one foot in front of another foot, climbing over those mountains. And so as this sojourner travels along with his eyes fixed on that destination, he does everything in his power to prepare himself and be strengthened for that journey. He takes along the appropriate food and clothing for that journey. If he's going through the desert, then he does not need layers of clothing upon him, for they would burden him down. So he removes those clothing so that as quickly as possible, he can walk through that desert. And then as he ascends up into the mountains and the weather cools down and there is snow, then again, he Girds himself with the appropriate clothing so that he can be protected from the elements. He does all of this because his eyes are fixed on that final destination. Every decision that he makes as he walks along that journey is for the goal of getting to that destination as soon as possible. And there, beloved, we have a picture of what it means that we walk in newness of life. It's a journey. It's a difficult journey. It's a journey that requires work. The apostle does not say here that God reaches down from heaven and picks us up and God miraculously and immediately sets us At the destination, he could. But it is God's good pleasure that we walk with our eyes fixed on that final destination. Where are our faces looking? We are to have our eyes fixed On our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, Christ liveth, Christ liveth unto God. That's where Christ's eyes were. He lived and lives unto God. Where are your eyes? Verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be, in, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we walk with the spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling within us, our eyes are fixed by faith upon God through His Son, Christ. If we are going through the desert of this world where there is insufficient food and insufficient nourishment for our souls, then we turn to the Word of God to strengthen us and sustain us as we walk in newness of life. We walk exactly because we live. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Christ was raised for that very purpose that we might lead a new and holy life unto God. This walk has been ordained by God from before the foundations of this world. Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that we are able by faith to confess that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. And so we reckon ourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto thee, O God, our Father, through thy Son. We adore him, we worship him, strengthen us to live our lives in gratitude unto him. Amen.